So hello, everyone. Welcome to Literary Guys. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. If you're wondering why this sounds like an NPR episode, that's because we are sequestered in the back of a used bookstore, trying out a new format for a potential new series. The idea struck us one evening as we were enjoying, as usual, the stardust, that there's always books that we've read or been interested in that we thought the other person would enjoy just as much, if not more. And what better way to kind of explore that idea than by having a random supermarket sweep style attempt of going into a used bookstore? So in order to kind of facilitate that, kind of some gamesmanship, we are kind of hiding in the back of this used bookstore, waiting for them to be about 10 minutes before close so that there is a hard and fast cutoff. And then I think uh, we're each picking out three books for the other person, Mm -hmm. uh, nonfiction, a literary fiction, and a genre-y kind of beach read. Mm -hmm. And our uh, cap is $25 total. Before tax. Before tax. Very important. Yeah, we're just going to see if this is uh, drums up any interesting conversations. You know, a lot of the books that we do tackle on literary guys are obviously dealing with themes of masculinity. But for this, you know, I don't think we're sticking to that at all. I think we just want good books that we can share with uh, a good friend. Yeah, and hopefully have some great conversation at the Stardust right afterwards. So can you tell us about this bookstore? Yeah, we are in a section of Seattle called Capitol Hill. Uh, I believe the neighborhood that you reside in. That is correct. And uh, we were at a place called Twice Sold Tales, T-A-L-E-S. But there is a cat tail on the neon sign out front because we are, I would say, primarily in a playhouse for cats that also sells used books. There is cat equipment, climbing towers, scratching posts, sleeping cats, at least six by my count, Mm -hmm. surrounding us in what I would describe as a delightfully cluttered bookstore. There's that fine balance in used bookstores that I think we can probably all agree on. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that feel too corporate, you know, too sterile. Everything's well organized. Those are no fun. But then there's also the ones that feel like a hoarder lives there and you're intruding on their property. This this falls somewhere in the middle of that kind of organized chaos that is really appealing. And we've talked about this. Seattle doesn't have the best used bookstore scene. You had a theory behind that. Yeah, I think a lot of people just have a tendency to buy new things and unfortunately dispose of them. Giving authors their due money. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, Seattle. But no, yeah, this is one of the better used bookstores, I would say, in the city, and uh, just has some little delightful nooks and crannies. I think it was an old doctor's office. This is correct. And so you've got kind of like some little small rooms that must have been patient examining rooms that have specific topics like travel or cooking or things like that. So we're just going to split up right now and take in the lovely biblicor or the smell of old books as it were, and uh, regroup at the Stardust Lounge with our picks that we will talk about in a little bit more detail. Okay. See you there. Okay. We are nestled back in our normal booth here at the Stardust. I've got a stack of books next to me. It looks like you've got a somewhat smaller, but still three book sized stack next to you. And Crystal has brought us over some I think we're just doing martinis today, which is kind of a tough follow after the scotch you're drinking out of a flask during the uh, the bookstore section. You know, I like drinking in bookstores. Uh, I don't know that that's a healthy habit, but I'm confining two of my favorite things. So why not just have more joy in the world? There you are. I appreciate the fact that this no longer feels like we're doing a bad parody of SNL's delicious dish sketch. 
and yes. we're talking at a normal room volume. That's certainly helpful. It is. I had a good time over there at Twice Sold Tales. When we split up, I immediately, as is my way, found a book that I wanted for myself. And that so was, I, I noticed your priorities were... Yeah, I was just like, I couldn't help myself. So I burned a few of the allotted minutes on that. And then I wandered listlessly for a few minutes because the sections aren't really like next to each other that one would expect. Yeah. But there was still ample time and there was plenty of great selections. And in fact, there were a couple of tough calls that I had to make to Ooh, decide what okay. it was that I wanted to get. I hope you had a good experience as well. I did. What is your favorite section of a used bookstore? Is there a section you find the most charming, typically? You know, I usually start off in the sci-fi section. There's Same. always something fun over there. Same. There is something, I haven't read a lot of them, but there's something about those like 50s sci-fi serials, like the artwork on the pages and like, mm-hmm. how delightfully yellowed they are from the, the cellulose and the wood pulp kind of breaking down. I agree. There's something charming about that section, even though I don't read a lot of sci-fi, but like you, I do enjoy spending some quality time in that section. I really wanted to start off by getting you a copy of Tech War. <laughs> but they did not have the original. They did, however, have six other tech novels from the series. which Written thought, by Shatner? Yes. Or, okay, okay. I, I mean, th- if he wrote any of them. You would have to start with the first, I think. I think you would, It's too. such a, I'm sure, well-thought-out, deep, rich, world-building experience. You couldn't mm-hmm. just hop into any of them. Was there a terrible Flash-style video game on CD-ROM based on Tech War? I think there was. Never played it, but I remember seeing it in the stores, and, ah, man. If you could say that one piece of media clip Star Trek, it would be Tech War. Well, in the words of Seymour Skinner, kids have to learn about tech somewhere. (laughs) So I think we should jump into these books, and I think what we're going to do first is we're going to talk about our nonfiction pick. I say, Zach, why don't you go first? What'd you get me here? I cheated a little. This is a nonfiction piece, but if you know the history behind it, I believe the author incorporated a lot of fiction as well. Mm -hmm. Um, This is probably one of the top 10 best reads of the English language. I put this alongside Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita, which is Mm -hmm. in terms of the beauty and exquisiteness of the language. It is Edward Abbey's Desert Solitaire. Are you familiar? I have heard the name. I know nothing about it. I will hand it across the table to you right now. A Season in the Wilderness. Yeah, indeed. So Edward Abbey is a primarily a fiction writer, uh, Monkey Wrench Gang, among other great tales. Black Sun, I think, is one of his. But this, to me, really stands out. This is the allegedly true account of the two years he spent as a park ranger in the Mojave Desert. Mm-hmm. Though I say it probably blurs the line a little bit because the whole point of it is one man's dealing with isolation amongst nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was with his wife the entire two years, and she never gets a mention in the book. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a little creative licensing there. From all accounts, Edward Abbey, a wonderful writer, not the most enjoyable man to be around probably but I I thought of this for you one because I love it and I I recommend it to a lot of my friends who love the English language but I know very recently you've gotten to a big outdoor kick Um, Mm -hmm. I I think you've even planned some trips around hikes that you want to take you know I think that communion that you've been having with nature very recently I think would really tie well into Edward Abbey's experience in the great outdoors well I'm excited to read that thank you I went in an entirely different direction, which I think is fun. Is it Dave Barry? No, it's not, actually. (laughs) Um, It is a serious book, and it's a book that I saw on the bookshelf 
and I was happy they had a copy of it because this is the book that in my my non-literary guy's life where I work as a technology manager this is the book that I always tell people to read because it actually explains why things happen the way they do in the world of business in technology hmm. because it seems like it should be obvious why are certain people successful in terms of technology why why do some companies be the top of the game for 10 years and all of a sudden no one's heard of them anymore Mm -hmm. Um, And so the book here is Clayton Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma, which is non-egotistically subtitled The Revolutionary Book That Will Change the Way You Do Business. (laughs) Um, My apologies to the late Clayton Christensen. But this book is amazing because it's a series of case studies of companies who, for all the right reasons, made the worst possible decisions they could have made Mm. that seemed brilliant at the time and why little companies actually ended up being the successful ones. You don't need to read this whole book, but the examples range from hard drive manufacturers to motorbike manufacturers and pretty much everything in between. I appreciate that the lone chess piece that is on the cover here is a queen and not a king. Mm-hmm. Very interesting choice there. I am oh, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit about that. Uh, okay. You are in tech. I am not. I don't know a lot about the tech industry, but I do have a lot of fondness for innovation and people who are able to think outside the box. I think there's a lot of parallels between art and creativity in the workplace. So I will be thrilled to peruse this. Thank you so much. Yep. And like any good used book, it appears like it was last read by a five-year-old child who'd recently eaten some fudge. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is great. Okay, cool. Let's hope it's fudge. Okay, so we're going to move into the literary part of this. This is Literary Guys. This is. So uh, so what did you get me here, Zach? Well, I am very excited. I got you uh, one of my top five favorite novels that we can never do on Literary Guys because it really has nothing to do with men at mm-hmm. all. It is by one of the American masters of the form, Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. also an Ohio native like ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it is her debut novel, The Bluest Eye. Ooh, I've wanted to read some Toni Morrison, so thank you. That is great. Wonderful. This is one of those books that, one, it's just exquisite prose, but it's one of those books that really kind of opened my mind to viewing the world through another person's lens. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about a young girl uh, growing up in the rural South slash Midwest who, because of beauty standards that she sees around her, This little African-American girl dreams of one day having blue eyes because she's convinced Mm. that just that change alone will change the cycle of poverty and violence and abuse that she's subjected to in every day. It's a grim read. I would say that it is one of the books that I've cried the hardest while reading, but I think it's a great introduction to Toni Morrison and something that every American owes themselves a chance to one day read. It begins quite famously with... Here is the house. It is green and white. It has a red door. It is very pretty. Here is the family. And she keeps up that prose style for like a chapter or two, Mm -hmm. and then completely goes the other way with these rich compound sentences. It's this fascinating kind of dip into the world of language that a Toni Morrison at age, I think 40 is when she was first published, Mm -hmm. kind of out of the gate had the confidence to play with form and function so exquisitely with this novel. So I'm really excited for you to peruse it and look forward to one day hearing your thoughts on it. Fantastic. 
So intriguingly, I also chose a woman writer as my Excellent. book here. And it's one I, I don't know if you've read. I'd say in life you've read many, many more books than I have. But this is the book that maybe 10 to 15 years ago was the book I just picked up. And I, I picked it up because I thought it had a great cover. Uh, mm. I'll be honest, and a great title. And it was one of the things that got me back into reading. Oh, because okay. I was so captivated by such a non-traditional and unexpected story. And so I have selected... Special Topics in Calamity Physics by Marisha Pessel. Oh, wow. I'm not familiar with this at all. So she had a hugely successful book, I think two years ago, called Night Film. It was a big hit. This was her debut novel, from what I understand. It's also a book we cannot do on Literary Guys because it's a female protagonist and it is uh, definitely a book about her life and growing up in a highly academic hmm. uh, environment and sort of the trappings of that around her. It's a very captivating book. I got a lot out of it. It's got pretty much uh, everything I'm looking for in a book. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much. It is kind of a Bible length, it appears. You have given me uh, quite the opposite of a bee treat, but I am looking forward to it. I have no idea if it's aged well, by the way. Like, Oh, uh, okay, fine. You know, it, yeah, yeah. It, I picked it up. It was still in hardcover. I still got my copy of it, so... No, I'm, I'm always excited to, to read an author that I have no familiarity with, so thank but, you. But she moved into horror, so it's Ooh, interesting that, yeah, yeah I know we, we talked about Stephen King recently, yep. and, and to see someone in, in that vein. Anyhow, I think we're on to the most important category, Beach Reads. Yeah, and I chose an author that we've already done on Literary Guys. Ooh, I'm excited. Do you want to venture a guess? I want to say you got me a Colson Whitehead here. Perhaps the the sci-fi novel that he wrote. Interesting. Zone One, um, which I am still in the process of reading, but it starts off very good. No. We talked about, interestingly enough, our love of the sci-fi section and some of the, mm-hmm. the cheesy 50s and 60s covers. So I got you Shock 3, mm-hmm. New Dimensions in Terror, 13 Electrifying Tales by the Master of the Far Out and Bazaar. Richard Matheson. Oh, wow. Do you want to describe the uh, cover for our listeners here? The, the rather interesting cover layout? Okay, there's a lot going on here. You got to imagine an eye, like a human eye, but there's no, no eyelid or anything. It's just the eye. And then there's some sort of like monster from Doom that <laughs> he's got lots of horns and I don't know, like does not look happy. Is this monster is, of course, like centered within the eye? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. My question is, what about Shock 1, 2, possibly even 4? You're going to be completely lost unless you first reread those, I'm sure. The back of the book offers questions of triple threat horror. <laughs> and this is tiny print. I, I, you got me a small, small print book. It is. This uh, includes some stories that I haven't read, but some that I have, including the one that was, speaking of William Shatner, the one that inspired the William Shatner Twilight Zone episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. T- t- Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Oh, okay. But the reason why I picked this one specifically and not the other volumes of Shock is that it contains my favorite Richard Matheson short story. It is called Witch War. W-I-T-C-H. Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about it when we went over um, I Am Legend. I just wanted to read a little bit of this uh, for our listeners because it gives you an example of Richard Matheson when he's just going all out, flourish, and purple prose, and Mm -hmm. it really is quite wonderful. An army of ugly, shapeless men stumbling in the mud, struggling against the pitch-black, muddy road. 
rain, a torrent, buckets of it thrown down on each exhausted man, sucking sound of great boots sinking into oozy yellow-brown mud, pulling loose, mud dripping from heels and soles, plodding men, hundreds of them, soaked, miserable, depleted, young men bent over like old men, jaws hanging loosely, mouths gasping at black wet air, tongues lolling, sucking eyes, looking at nothing, betraying nothing, rest. Men sit down in the mud, fall on their packs, heads thrown back, mouth open, rain splashing on yellow teeth, hands immobile, scrawny heaps of flesh and bone, legs without motion, khaki lengths of worm-eaten wood, hundreds of useless limbs fixed to hundreds of useless trunks. That's just an example of how gorgeous uh, Witch War is, but then it mm-hmm. also has a, a very modern twist that you could imagine uh, a Josh Whedon sci-fi serial oh, wow. might have. So really fun piece, and uh, hopefully you have a chance to just read a couple of those short stories if you're looking for a fun beach read. So I have no idea how mine is going to compare here. I was actually thinking about this last night. I was hmm. like, who would be an interesting author? Maybe an author I've never read. And I don't know why the thought popped into my head, but I remembered that when I was growing up in my grandparents' house, there were some books on the shelf. I never read them. Sure. But one of them was by an author named Dick Francis, which is an amazing name. And I had looked him up years ago, and he only wrote about one thing, and it was horse racing and mysteries. So I don't know why I chose this, but you are getting Dick Francis's Shattered. I'm just going to read you some of the things off the back. Please. Francis's formula is made for excitement, says the New York Times. The synopsis here. After his friend is killed in a horse racing accident, up-and-coming glass artisan Gerard Logan finds himself embroiled in a deadly search for a stolen videotape. His friend had it. Some very bad people want it, and they think Logan's got it. There's no way this book is not gold. (laughs) So, I mean, first off, it involves a videotape. So, you know it's timely. It's great. And the uh, the woman who was working the counter when I bought this book was very excited that someone had cared to buy a Dick Francis novel. She was. Yes, she was. And this book is also dedicated to Queen Elizabeth, which I think is a very (laughs) interesting choice to dedicate a book. I cannot wait for your review on this one. Now, this is actually perfect because I think there are no two greater fans of horse racing that know as little about horse racing as you and I. I have to agree. I I remember when we went to Lake Tahoe just to watch the Kentucky Derby. And bet on it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so this this is great. I know nothing about horse racing, but I find the entire weird world of it quite charming. And I love that there is a guy who has specialized his entire... Oh, this is the first time it's in paperback, by the way. Yes, it is. So great, great find there. We should talk a little bit about the proprietor of uh, Twice Sold Tales, a a lovely human being who, to me, fits the description of a used bookstore owner to a T. She is not going to maybe make eye contact with you while you're there. She's not going to give you a friendly greeting when you come in the door, but when you bring a book that she likes or that she Mm -hmm. knows to that counter to buy, she's going to tell you everything about that author, everything there is to know about some of the side works they did, other recommendations. When I handed her the Edward Abbey Desert Solitaire, she said, oh, 
not a lot of people know this, but in 1970, he actually did all the caption for Time Life. So if you can find any of the Time Life nature issues from the 70s, it's all Edward Abbey writing in his beautiful prose. And I was like, I had no idea. And she's like, you got to go find him. Oh, wow. And I think that that's, that's what I'm reminded sometimes of the quote unquote value that people are given in a modern society. I love that there are these amazing fountains of knowledge that tend to open used bookstores Mm -hmm. and are there as a resource and still hold this place of distinction and reverence in our society. It always makes me feel good to interact with these people and to benefit from their vast array of knowledge. So before we wrap up here, how much was spent on these books? Did we actually meet our goal? That is, I believe, let's see, uh, you came in right at $25. Oh, nice. Exactly. I'm significantly under that because I got you some more worn and loved editions. $17 for you. I actually did not check. I didn't realize that. I would say the best condition copy is Dick Francis's Shattered, though. This looks like it was bought right off the uh, airport newsstand. Mm -hmm. And it it has clearly not been read. (laughs) And I think it's probably because Dick Francis is best appreciated in hardcover. You know, I will, (laughs) I will, I will read this and I will think of your grandparents who I never met. Yeah. Anyhow, I hope you've enjoyed this interesting little jaunt into twice-sold tales here in Seattle. I think this was a lot of fun. I hope you did as well. Uh, Let us know on social media what you think of this. We'll try and uh, post some photos of the books that we picked up here. And, you know, please support your local used bookstores. Uh, You know, I think it goes without saying, I know Zach is an author, you know, it's... You know, not necessarily paying the author directly, but as you say, that there's a lot of value that these folks bring to the literary world, and uh, good to appreciate that. I think if you look at a used bookstore as a seed vault for the mind, I think these are the places within our urban centers where you encourage and inspire reading in young people. So even if the authors aren't getting the money directly, I think they're well worth supporting because it fosters something rare and beautiful in our society that is ever lacking. Well, that's a good place to wrap things up here. This has been Literary Guys, signing off.